There's a lot of people who, when for the first time they're exploring some kind of non-traditional relationship, you know, a lot of people go into it, like you said, really not being sure, what am I trying to get out of this? What is my purpose in this? What is our shared purpose in doing this? Especially if like it's an open relationship where one partner is less than thrilled about it. Mm-hmm. It can be really hard to have a sense of like, well, what do I value in this? What's my purpose in this for me as well? And so I think that that behavior of kind of starting out the gate trying to put in a rigid structure it doesn't it's not always bad it's not always toxic because sometimes it's kind of like yeah we just need to experience some stuff first in a Mm -hmm. relatively safe feeling way Mm -hmm. and that's how we're going to start to understand our values welcome to the multi-amory podcast i'm jace i'm emily and i'm dedeker we believe in looking to the future of relationships not maintaining the status quo of the past so whether you're monogamous polyamorous swinging casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multiamory Podcast, we're talking about doing the splits with your brain. That's right. We're talking about psychological flexibility. <laughs> Just straight cold splits. Yeah. No, not even not even feeling it. Just no problem. Mm-hmm. So today we're going to take you through what it means to be psychologically flexible, how it looks in real life, and most importantly, how psychological flexibility can have major benefits for your relationship, especially for those of us in non-traditional or non-monogamous relationships. It looks so, like your brain doing the splits. So That's brain what splits. It looks like in real life. <laughs> brain splits. We should title this episode "Brain Splits." Brain splits. And people will be like, "What? <laughs> like what? Like a banana split?" Uh-huh. <laughs> Yikes! Gross. Uh, what do y'all think psychological flexibility means when that term is just in the air? Other than brain splits, I think it means having the wherewithal and the understanding that life is going to throw a bunch of things at you. And we just have to have to kind of go with the flow. Like we have rigidity in our life and a lot of us really want to be in control of our lives. But in reality, we're just going to have to like deal with some things being out of our control, like a pandemic, for for instance. Mm. You know, none of us like expect that to happen. I'm assuming maybe some of us did. But um, yeah, that kind of threw us all for a loop. So psychological flexibility. Yes. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, it's like when life throws lemons at you you dodge them like in the matrix you know you're just like (laughs) and they're just like flying past you maybe you you, like fruit ninja them them. exactly and then you make lemonade and then lemonade like just comes that's great (laughs) (laughs) just lemonade for days exactly i am loving this and neither of you are wrong necessarily (laughs) i mean you're not right either you're not 100 percent right but you're also not wrong in a (laughs) nutshell in a lemon peel some of us might say (laughs) uh psychological flexibility is the ability to stay in contact with the present moment regardless of unpleasant things going on, such as your thoughts, your feelings, your body sensation, while at the same time also choosing your behaviors based on the situation and your personal values. So that was a lot. That was, yeah, that you was know, a lot to take in. Big old, lots of stuff to take in. Um, people are going to have to rewind that and then listen to you say it again. So well, they really I mean, like get it in their brain. That's the, that's the nutshell lemon peel definition. Okay. So we're going to dive much, much deeper into exactly what this means. Also, as a side note, if you're listening, if you've ever worked with a therapist who is trained in ACT or acceptance and commitment therapy, a lot of this may be familiar to you. The, uh, the concept of psychological flexibility is basically the backbone of that particular modality of therapy. So the term itself comes from an analysis that was done by psychology researchers Todd Cashdan and Jonathan Roderberg, which was published in the journal Clinical Psychology Review in 2010. So oh, it's actually recent. fairly recent. Yeah, yeah. I know last in time. In 2010? That's yeah. a decade ago. Well, In yeah, psychological like, concept terms, that's so recent. <laughs> It's so recent. There's so much stuff that comes out of like the 70s or like from Freud or Uh, whatever, you know, turn of the century. It's like, this is brand new. It's fresh. 
Fresh. So <laughs> fresh lemonade. Freshly squeezed. Exactly. I want some now. <laughs> oh God. Okay. I'm going to put the lemonade on a side table <laughs> okay, for now. Okay, okay. It's I'll there. look at it fondly, but <laughs> not grab for it anymore. If we want it, it's there. It's just not right in front of us. Okay. So uh, these researchers examined a bunch of past studies on things like emotional regulation, on mindfulness, social psychology, neuropsychology. And basically, they were looking at what are the connections between all those things, as well as how all these things relate to our ongoing mental health. Yeah. So in this paper, what they noticed was that basically we can all realize that having positive emotions and positive thoughts and having our basic needs met, like autonomy and belonging, uh, you know, that having these fulfilled are the cornerstones of good mental health. But what was missing from it is that we don't always have control over those things. And that sometimes just focusing on like, let's have the most positive emotions and thoughts possible leaves out the fact that we're in a world where there's conflicting forces that come along and can change that and affect us. Like Emily mentioned with a pandemic or a, you know, a death in the family or any number of things. Right. So in other words, positive psychology and like focusing on the good is great and all, but then we have years like 2020. So how the heck, Ugh. How the heck do you deal with it? How do you maintain mental health while actually living in a reality that's going to fluctuate and isn't always going to be happy and fulfilling and content? So Cashton and Roderberg officially defined four main measures of psychological flexibility. So these are like the measurable ways in which you can measure psychological <laughs> flexibility. And those things are how much a person is able to, one, adapt to fluctuating situational demands... Two, reconfigure their mental resources. Three, shift their perspective. And four, balance competing desires, needs, and life domains. Yeah, so domains? Yeah, domains, you know? So this idea that, like, I have these different domains in life, like my work life, my spiritual life, my partnerships, my parenting my family my friends you know and kind of this idea that all of those things are often happening at the same time ongoing Mm -hmm. and we're kind of balancing all the different needs that are required in those different arenas and especially in the situation where it's like maybe my relationship is going through some crap right now and things are really rough but things with my friends are really good but then there's work that's also getting really stressful and it's just kind of like not taking it out on your friends because there are other stressful things in your life. Well, I guess, yeah, one's ability to to balance all those things. Got it. Okay, yeah. thank you. So these guys, Cashton and Roderberg, they found that people who were most able to access these skills had a higher quality of life and better mental well-being. So you may be asking yourself, okay, cool. What does that actually mean? Like, how does this, I certainly am. How does this play out in real life? So let's get into that. Yeah, it definitely sounds these kind of four points that they pick out. I'm like, they're they great. They seem solid. They seem reasonable, but they're also very sciencey, researchery sounding mm. to me. Uh, like reconfigure your mental resources. I'm like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing. I got another triangle for you. Oh no! <laughs> I mean, that's fine. We love triangles, don't we? We just have so, so many of them. Yeah, we know that communication is a triangle. Love is a triangle. What are the triangles we got? Uh, this is the savior of Hyrule is a triangle. Yeah, I, yeah. Um, there are three triangles there. Yeah, um, and also psychological flexibility is a triangle as well, it as it turns hmm. out. Uh, I did not decide to put this in a triangle. Other people decided. So if you're sick of triangles, go complain to these other people who made this into a triangle. But we're going to stick with it for today. So the way that we can convert this idea into layman's terms is by talking about these three main pillars that make up the actual process, like real life process of being psychologically flexible. And those three pillars are one, be open, two, be present, and three, do what matters. You got it? Got it. Great. That's our show for today. (laughs) Thank you, everybody. Go out, be psychologically flexible, have wonderful relationships and and lives, and tell us all about it. Okay, just kidding. So, 
This is a triangle. And so that means that kind of from each point of the triangle, there's at least two different core processes that attach these three points together, essentially. Like a triad. Exactly. Like a, a triad, triad, like a triforce, a like like a sacred trigonometry mm. is really what we're talking about yeah, here. Yeah, that is what we're yeah. talking about. Yeah. So let's take these one at a time and let's start out by talking about being open. Being open. What does it entail? It entails having acceptance. So, okay, this is kind of misunderstood sometimes as as being like a passive person or, or just giving up or tolerating maybe a bad situation, but that's not what we're talking about here. In this model, acceptance is defined as an action. So an action of taking or receiving what is offered with willingness and then making choices, I think based on what's occurring at that time, but having acceptance for it, which I think is a good thing. We, we If we can't change it, then we might as well accept it. Yeah, maybe like, like, what am I going to do now? Like acceptance as opposed to denial rather than acceptance as opposed yes. to taking action or something like that. Sure. No, it's it's acceptance and taking action. So right. both of those things are happening simultaneously or one after the other. So, okay, the opposite of this is experiential avoidance. So for an example of that, it's accepting and letting yourself experience a feeling of jealousy that's arising. So that's accepting. That's a good thing. Versus doing everything in your power to avoid the feeling at all costs, like putting really rigid rules in place or only having your partner date the same person that you are, something like that. Or getting wildly drunk like when it comes up so that you don't yeah. have to feel it or look at it, things like that. There you yeah. go. Yeah, gosh, that idea of escapism is so present with, I think, a lot of uncomfortable feelings for people in our culture of like, let's just avoid it at all costs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. And then the second part of being open is something called diffusion. And to clarify, this is different from diffusion. Uh, diffusion, it's like the opposite of fusion. So this is the ability to diffuse. To, to def yes. Yeah, to defuse the ability to identify the content of your inner experience and separate it from yourself. And the opposite is fusion when we identify or fuse with our thoughts. So an example of this would be noticing I'm having the thought that everyone hates me and I'm a terrible person versus thinking and believing and identifying with everyone actually does hate me. I am actually a terrible person. I'm and Dedeker wrote about your this. Right for you, yeah, right for you, Jay. <laughs> like... Yeah, Dedeker yeah. wrote this in the episode specifically for me because uh, this is this is mine. This is my my thing. You're, you you like you you fuse. Well, I, I I fluctuate. I think sometimes between really fusing with it and maybe being able to defuse from it. But this thought is there a lot for me. So. Yeah. So yeah, this is good. It's good stuff. Good stuff, Ted's. Yeah, I, I think all of us have our own little bits of this, right? Where oh, we sure. kind of fuse with thoughts and feelings and memories instead of defusing. I mean, for me, often it's stuff like imposter syndrome, you know, of kind of really genuinely identifying and sometimes thinking and feeling that it's true that I'm like, oh, I'm an imposter. I'm terrible at my job. I shouldn't be doing this. People are going to find me out, you know? instead of being able to defuse and just kind of notice like, huh, interesting. Like I'm, I'm having imposter syndrome thoughts or yeah. I'm having this experience come up in me where I'm having doubts about myself, which it feels like they're so subtly different, but turns out it actually carries quite a lot of weight. What about you, Emily? What do you fuse and defuse? Oh yeah. <laughs> mine is, uh, I mean, I was just thinking about it. Mine is always all my friends and all the people in my life, like all of them are way more impressive than I am and way smarter than I am. And I'm just kind of dumb-dumb uh, and I pale in comparison to all of them. So what what would be the like defused version of that thought? I That I have my own talents and strengths and they are not necessarily the most cerebral ones at all times, but for whatever reason, these people love me and care about me and that's a good thing. And so clearly I must bring something to the table. Well, I think I think I would actually uh, categorize that as like a reframe, which is oh, not okay. necessarily part okay. of this model, uh, you know, but kind of like putting in the opposite thought or or kind of looking at the positive side of things. I, I feel like the defusion would be 
like you being able to notice like, huh, I'm having this thought come up again that like, mm. I'm a piece of crap compared to this really impressive person around no, me. No, it's just all of you. All of you. <laughs> <laughs> you too. <Okay. laughs> and you know, my other friends and my mom and my boyfriend okay. and blah, blah, okay. blah. Yeah. Okay. So yes. Okay. It, 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 it happens less and less as the years go on, but it definitely mm. for years it was... Very prevalent. Yeah. So clearly, yeah. okay. So diffusion, we're into it. We're gonna we're gonna all work on that. I think the acceptance one's good too. I sometimes struggle with that in terms of like more with sort of daily inconveniences or setbacks or things where it's easy for me to be like, no, 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 this can't be happening. This can't be happening. There's there's got to be a way for this not to be happening, rather than accepting it and then taking action like proactively mm. based on that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so we've laid out our all our personal homework for this <laughs> part of the triangle. Uh, wow. Okay, let's, let's go on to the next part of the triangle. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so our next point on the triangle is being present. And one of the core processes of being present is literally that, just having contact with the present moment. So... That's holding a non-judgmental awareness of both your inside and outside experiences in the present moment, even when the present moment might be uncomfortable. And to highlight, you know, the opposite of this could look like hyper-focusing on past, future, what am I going to have for lunch today? You know, just like basically focusing on anything but what's actually happening in the present moment. And I feel like conceptually, this is a a concept that we're probably pretty familiar with just because of the popularity of stuff like mindfulness meditation and yoga practices and a lot of these practices that really encourage that present moment awareness. So I feel like we all maybe have some touch points to this, even though many of us are not very good at it. It says you, you like have been doing this for years doesn't mean that I'm good at it. Yeah, I have had a years long meditation practice, but it's, it's, I mean, the old adage that it's a practice. It's not like a, an accomplishment, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Although when we were all at a a retreat together, you were very impressive at that retreat. Jason and I were like, Jason and I were like, (laughs) and then you were just like, um, it was very impressive. (laughs) (laughs) You're levitating. We were just like, crying in the corner you don't know what was going on inside me we weren't talking to each other you're right we weren't we weren't allowed to you know okay all right so let's move on so another element of being present is self as context so let's go into what this means because it was a little challenging for me to kind of understand but this is the ability to tap into the observer self who can see the changing content of thoughts, feelings, body sensations, roles, and identities that are contained inside you. That's sort of like it's an ever-moving, ever-evolving like thing. And so your roles can change, your, your body sensations are constantly changing, your thoughts are constantly changing, your feelings. And that that's, that's just a reality, that's the truth of like what you are and who you are. Yeah, to to drop this in, because all of us before this episode kind of struggled with this one a little bit. It's a little bit hard to wrap. Especially the next part. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we're going to save the next part, but like, it's a little hard to wrap your brain around. But I I feel like the selfish context process reminds me of a lot of like Buddhist concepts of of no self or non-self. This idea that like, there isn't one part of me or my experience that I can point to and be like, ah, that's it. That's myself. You know, I can't point to my brain is like, that's myself or my thoughts, that's myself or my feelings, that's myself because all these things are changing. And so it is kind of like being able to tap into this sense of like, there is some kind of self that exists that's able to observe all these things going on, which is like a little bit of a head trip. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, Okay, the next part is the opposite of this, which is known as self as content. So yeah, I wanted a little bit of clarification again there. I think it's essentially saying the same thing, but two different ways of thinking about it. One, self is context, which I guess we're saying is more the positive, and then self is content, which is the thing that we want to shy away from more. Yeah, I think it's it's not so much about positive or negative in, in terms of like what what the things are. I think the idea here is that either one, you know, you're 
you know, there's thoughts you have, there's feelings you have, there's body sensations, identities, some that might feel good to you, some that might feel bad. I think the difference here with self as context is kind of like the context is myself. So I'm myself and there's these things that happen. There's like labels that might come up or there's identities that I have or sensations that I have or thoughts and feelings that I have versus self as content means like this thought I'm having, I am that thought or this relationship identity I have, I am that relationship. So it's like that these things that happen and that you experience sort of you as the self are the context within which these things happen rather than you are those things that the, the content yeah. is you. I think that's the distinction. And I feel like I should start a series of like self-help CDs based on that. <laughs> You're ready I, to I go. hope that they wouldn't be CDs. <laughs> no, I, will, I don't have a CD player. <laughs> I will release them on CD. Uh, wow. But I'm going to use cat analogies for all of it. And it's going to be called the power of meow. Oh, that's good. That's really good. Thank that's you. That's really good, Jace. Thank you. Only TM, like TM, 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 TM. You TM, TM. can't take that. that. We, said, we said TM after it, so no one can copy it. That's how the law so works. So I, I, I want to drop in an example uh, that maybe can help to clarify some of this a little bit. But if, you, if you've listened to like our, let's say, our Demon Dance Battle episode, where we're looking at kind of like default communication patterns that you can fall into with your partner during a fight, you know, these kind of default pursuit withdrawal patterns that start up, you get sucked into the dance, like you don't even realize that it's happening, you go around and around and around till we're exhausted. And something that we encourage in that episode uh, is this idea of like, can you notice when you're in the middle of the demon dance battle? Can you notice when you've gotten sucked into the choreography? And it's like that noticing is kind of the self as context, this idea that there is this observer self who can be like, oh, wow, I'm doing that thing again that I recognize is toxic and not helpful. And I can make a choice at this point to shift it or reduce the harm or do something versus kind of like the self as context where you're just in, you're just in it, you self know. Self as content. So yeah, selfless content where you're just in it, in the throes of the feelings and the fight and stuff like that. And not to say that it's not important that you should be paying attention to that, but it's, I think it's just clarifying that ability to kind of make that shift and like step outside of yourself a little bit or just take a two inch step back from yourself. Does that make sense to y'all? Yeah. Yeah. It's Thank very, you for the clarification. It's very similar to the fusion defusion thing. But I guess I'm trying to understand the difference. I feel like being open in terms of defusion is more about the thoughts that you have. And this being present is more about the experiences you have or the identities you have or the roles you have. Yeah, and I think, yeah, it's like looking at it. The fusion was more inner circle and then you go like out to a bigger mm. circle and that's yeah. this. That's cool. And it, the circle keeps getting bigger and now we're not a triangle anymore. Okay. <laughs> Different <laughs> shape. Different so shape, but we've transformed into thing. a circle. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's move on to the third part of the triangle. And this is doing what matters. So the first part of doing what matters is having an awareness of values. So <clears throat> values basically mean what's important to you, right? they act more like a compass direction rather than a concrete goal. Uh, in past episodes, I've talked about a concept kind of like this, about having buoys, which <clears throat> is sort of the analogy I like of when you're out in the water and there's no landmarks around, it's hard to tell where you are. But if you have buoys that you can identify and you go, okay, I know that that one over there is too far. And I know this one over here is safe. And now I'm kind of in between these, I can get a sense of kind of how close I am to over there where all the, I don't know, the sharks are. And, you know, over here where the cabana is. I don't know. That was a weird, <laughs> weird analogy. The floating cabana. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go to floating cabana. <laughs> right. Oh, that's where we put the lemonade. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. Ooh, over okay. there. Okay. Good, good, good. I dream of the floating cabana. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, that, that's kind of the idea, is identifying what your values are and being aware of them, uh, and that lacking clarity of one's values might be more rigid, needing to rely on rules, or particularly rules that are set out by somebody else, right? Like by a religion, or by your parents, or by a partner, or something like that, like just adhering to these, 
rather than kind of having your own values that allow you to make decisions that fit with those and not just following some, well, X is this, so therefore I do Y. Uh, Yeah, I just wanted to drop in just really quickly. I know that on this podcast, we're infamous for, you know, being a little bit anti-rule. But what I thought was interesting is, you know, this sentiment of like, yeah, if you don't have clarity on your values, that often manifests as being more rigid and more rule governed. It's like that came from the completely not non-monogamy related world. (laughs) You know, that's not us. That's not us projecting onto this. Mm hmm. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah. So our example for this one is if I have a value of myself and my partners having autonomy in our relationships, then I'm going to try to choose actions and make decisions that head in that direction, like that head toward that buoy, even when it's hard versus I don't know what I value. So I need to create rigid constructs or follow the rigid constructs that were laid out for me by culture or a religion. So as long as I follow those, I can just go, well, I must be doing it right because I'm following the rules. Yeah, definitely. I think this is interesting because it, early in people's like non-monogamous journeys, it tends to be this, I'm not quite sure what I want and what I'm interested in and where I want to go with this. And so I think that's why it's important to have a, a meeting or a kind of understanding of one another and like, what is it that I want this to look like ultimately? And I'm assuming people will stumble and and learn new things along the way. But yeah, a a lot of people tend to maybe just like create those rules immediately without having those conversations with themselves and with their significant others because they don't really know what they want. Totally. I'm really glad you brought that up because, yeah, there's a lot of people who when for the first time they're exploring some kind of non-traditional relationship, you know, a lot of people go into it, like you said, really not being sure what am I trying to get out of this? What is my purpose in this? What is our shared purpose in doing this? Especially if like it's an open relationship where one partner is less than thrilled about it. Mm-hmm. It can be really hard to have a sense of like, well, what do I value in this? What's my purpose in this for me as well? And so I think that that behavior of kind of starting out the gate, trying to put in a rigid structure, it doesn't, it's not always bad. It's not always toxic because sometimes it's kind of like, yeah, we just need to experience some stuff first in a Mm -hmm. relatively safe feeling way. Mm -hmm. And that's how we're going to start to understand our values. And I feel like the three of us very much have gone through that over the course of several years is that sometimes you kind of have to go through some shit first before you actually know what your boundaries are too. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. And so related to this is committed action. And so that's the process of taking concrete steps or actions toward particular goals that are guided by your values and carrying through with those actions, even when the experience is unpleasant. So an example of this could be, okay, well, I know that what I value in my relationships is honest and healthy communication. And so I'm going to take the action of scheduling a radar with my partner, and I'm going to commit to doing that, even though I feel really anxious about what might come up. Versus the opposite of this would be stuff that um, in this model, they refer to as quote unquote, unworkable actions that are actions that are mostly dominated by either control or avoidance, or both. And so the sentiment behind that might be this idea of, oh, I am just like way too scared and intimidated by the idea of doing any kind of regular check-in with my partner. And so I'm going to make sure that we just avoid that at all costs, or avoid any serious conversations at all costs, or just kind of delay any awkward conversations that come up. So that's a triangle, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Have we described the triangle triangle. thoroughly enough? (laughs) I'm going to do a super quick recap for people. So, you know, the three points, the three pillars of psychological flexibility are being open by having acceptance and diffusing from your inner experience and inner thoughts, being present by maintaining contact with the present moment, and also having yourself as context, tapping into that observer self, and doing what matters, which means knowing what your values are and the ability to kind of take committed action that puts you in the direction of living up to those values. That seemed like a pretty good recap. It's a yeah. lovely recap. Well, thank well you. Well done. Thank you. So we're also going to talk about some science, 
how all of this is important for our mental health and for relationships. But before we go there, we're going to discuss some ways in which you can keep this show going for free so that we can continue bringing all of it to you for free. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy, or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. All right, and we're back. So we're going to talk a little bit about how, like, all of this just, it isn't just important for our own mental health, but it is very important for our relationships, too. So hopefully in our examples, you can kind of see how the concept of psychological flexibility, how it's useful to think about in relationships, And we have some science because we love science. So even more science for you. So a new meta-analysis study from the University of Rochester, it was published in the Journal of Contextual Contextual Behavioral Science in 2020. See, that's new. 2020 (laughs) is new, not 2010. I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's still kind of new, but but this is super new. Yes. (laughs) Researchers Jennifer S. Dax and Ronald Rogue, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but sorry, Ronald. So they analyzed 174 different studies to find out how psychological flexibility might influence family and romantic relationships. So their ultimate sample size was over 43,000 respondents. That's a lot. Well, it's, and it I mean, ended- spread out between 174 different studies. That's true. It makes sense. Yeah, but ultimately, okay, it was this 43,000 respondents. So it did kind of skew more heavily towards women. 73% were women. That's a ton. Uh, It was fairly diverse. It was still two-thirds Caucasian, but the age range was between 17 and 70 years old. So a pretty big age range there. Again, for most studies, it's like, this is great. I know. It's like, funny. Job, all right. The standard's like, kind of low. This is not old, and yeah. this is yeah, yeah. very it's skewed like, towards Caucasian women. Yeah. If your respondents are not just all college-age white people, then you're already like, then wow, you're, you're, amazing. Exactly. Gold star. Right. Yeah. You're already earning bonus points. <laughs> well, well done, but do better. So they found a lot of fascinating stuff. Uh, so they found that psychological flexibility or inflexibility had the greatest correlations with things like relationship satisfaction. So specifically, they found that a lack of being able to contact the present moment and also generally responding in an inflexible way to difficult thoughts, feelings, and experiences were predictive of lower levels of current relationship satisfaction. And it also predicted drops in satisfaction over time in their study across six months on the average. That makes sense. Yeah. And similarly, 
the self as content, which they specifically dif- like defined or kind of gave an example of it being, you know, judging or shaming yourself for difficult feelings or experiences going on. But that self as content was associated also with lower current relationship satisfaction. And so they found that, you know, employing inflexible and rigid responses to daily stressors that occur within all romantic relationships probably takes a toll on those relationships and mm-hmm. possibly over uh, um, erodes their overall quality as well. They did find that being able to gently experience, which is kind of their turn of phrase for diffusion, as well as finding internal compassion and acceptance of difficult or challenging thoughts or feelings was linked to higher levels of current relationship satisfaction as well, which I think makes sense. It's like there's a part of this that feels like is related to a little bit of how you care for yourself mentally. Hmm. And I don't mean like external sources of self care or or care like, you know, like talking to a therapist or going to a support group or stuff like that. But it's kind of like the ways that you're able to be gentle with your inner experience or kind with your inner experience helps you to show up a little bit better in relationship, which makes sense to me. Yeah. I think that when, if I think about the opposite of that, like when people try to deny those feelings or, or like escape them at all costs or avoid them or, or, you know, really latches on to those negative feelings and identifies with them that that causes us to do really weird things like lash out at our partners over stuff that is not justified at all, or, or just like behaving in a not trustworthy manner or being really avoidant to our partner when really we're just trying to avoid this other feeling of insecurity that we're having. Like it's, yeah, that the effort that we go through as humans sometimes to avoid feeling uncomfortable causes us to do some really messed up shit. Yeah. I, I was thinking about this in the context of like people holding on to stuff in relationships, like holding on to uh, really internalized feelings of despair over whatever happened like within the relationship and and instead of choosing to kind of let it go and having that acceptance like continuing to let it fester and let it like be an overarching thing in the relationship and and i feel like those two things are kind of related that the lack of psychological flexibility can cause someone to hang on to something for a really long period of time and let it kind of permeate and go through the relationship it's also making me think of something that the Gottmans talk about a lot. They, they don't label this as psychological flexibility, but I think it very much uh, matches, which is this idea that they encourage people, you know, whenever you identify a negative trait in your partner, try to also identify that negative trait in yourself. Huh. And then also, whenever you identify a positive trait in yourself, try to also identify that trait in your partner as well. And that sounds very much like having some psychological flexibility, like this ability to kind of, first of all, recognize maybe the first part of it is like, oh, I'm having this thought that my partner is super annoying when it comes to X, Y, and Z. You know, can I then kind of step outside of myself and look at myself and look at, you know, my ever-changing self and see like, oh yeah, there are some moments where I bring that kind of annoying behavior to the table as well. I guess things like that. I I don't know if it's necessarily like a direct link, but it does remind me of that. Totally. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I remember years and years ago, someone at the church where I used to work in Seattle said, uh, basically they said it like anything that you criticize in someone else is really a reflection of something you don't like about yourself. Uh, and they kind of put it very broadly like that. And it's something I've thought about actually a lot over the past, I don't know how long it's been since maybe like 14 years or 12 years or something since then. And it is interesting to explore that. And it's usually not a one-to-one, but it's, oh, this, this thing that really irritates me about this person, it's because it touches on something I'm uncomfortable with accepting Mm. about myself. And that is, that's interesting that that came up in this context too. Hmm. Hmm. All right, let's go back to this study here. So relationship satisfaction was that one that Dedeker just talked about. They also found that psychological flexibility affects sexual satisfaction. So a lack of present moment awareness, so basically not being in the moment, being present, was associated with lower levels of sexual satisfaction. 
And shout out to Jessica Graham, who it's been a while since she's been on the show. Maybe we should do that again. Yeah, we should have her back. Yeah. yeah. But she talked about mindfulness as it comes to sex and being present in the moment. And yeah, absolutely. If your mind is elsewhere and you're distracted, you're not going to enjoy the sex as much. So <laughs> yeah. that doesn't surprise me. I'm also thinking of a hit song that we could make, a sort of a parody song. It'd be like, be open, be present, do meaningful things so I can get my satisfaction. <laughs> right? <laughs> Wow. Chase, you've been really prolific this episode. You have the power of meow. You have this like psychologically flexible Benny Benassi. Like you're just on fire today. Yeah, well done. Uh, Well, thank you. I'm just very inspired by triangles, it turns out. (laughs) Apparently, (laughs) Jews. They're the most inspiring shape. Yeah. All right. The next one is social support. So this is another area that's affected by psychological flexibility. So lack of present moment awareness again, same kind of thing we were just talking about with sexual satisfaction, was also associated with individuals reporting lower levels of being supportive, empathic, and compassionate toward their partners. And then Dedeker introduced me to this term, fubbing, which uh-huh. I had never heard which before. Is- <laughs> Dedeker, can you explain it? Yeah, it's it's a portmanteau of phone and snubbing, but it's this thing that pretty much all of us do all the time. Do people which... use the phone anymore? <laughs> no. Your, your like, cell phone. Your mobile. Yeah. The device that no, we I, call I a mean, phone. Do people call each other anymore? No. I mean, no, no, no. sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, need to, you need to explain the term the rest sorry, of the way. Sorry, go. It's literally just like spacing out on your phone to the detriment uh, of paying attention to people around you. Got it. Yes. That's what it is. It. And we all do it. Right. And so that's it's what like this is. Your partner's... Stressing over, like, you know, trying to carry all the groceries in the door and you're just on your phone and not paying attention. Did I do that this morning? No, I thought we both did a good job. Oh, good. Okay. I was a little worried that. (laughs) She's like, sorry, I just got to answer this one email. Oh, and and you put it all away. Wow. That's great. Wow. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about conflict. So lack of present moment awareness linked to negative conflict behaviors, self as content, and global inflexibility were linked to higher levels of negative conflict. So this kind of suggests that responding to stressors in a really rigid, inflexible, and distracted manner might predispose individuals to respond to conflict within relationships in a more reactive way. I feel like this makes me think a little bit about what I was talking about earlier of when something comes up, you don't like that, like, no, this can't, this can't be rather than kind of Mm. accepting it and taking action that that can lead to that very reactive, like, I'm going to snap at this because I can't, you know, like this can't, this can't be the case. I can't handle this. I can't adapt to it and accept it. So I'm just going to yell at you about it. And I think that while we need to be looking at ourselves as the self as context, we also need to be looking at others as their their own self as context. Mm, because wow. we never are totally... Thank you. I think I also am on fire this week. No. <laughs> <laughs> just have to... I have to pat myself on the back once in a while. That's no. great. I love it. But yeah, just uh, because we are never fully aware of like exactly what context our partners or the person that we're talking to is going through in that moment. So they may have had like a really shitty conversation with their mom, like right before talking to you. And so they said something that pissed you off. And instead of being reactive, maybe like take a moment and say, what's going on over there? Like, you you okay? Is there something you need to talk about? Because, yeah, you seem a little uptight or a little upset. Can we please maybe have a conversation about this? But yeah, like understanding other people's context as well is important. Cool. Okay. Now, now we're going to talk about diffusion, not diffuse, but defusion. So diffusion was linked to lower levels of negative conflict behaviors, suggesting that individuals' abilities to gently, that gently, again, experience, uh, difficult thoughts, feelings, and emotions might help them decenter from a relationship conflict. So it potentially creates the space to be able to select a more kind and compassionate response to conflict instead of engaging in more reactive and aggressive behaviors. I just kind of said that before I said that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And I think all of this makes so much sense. Is it because it's like in the middle of conflict, you can be really worked up and your heart's racing and you can 
have the thought that arises of like, my partner is being a total shithead right now. Mm -hmm. And it's like being able to defuse from that thought to be like, okay, I'm having that thought. Maybe that's a cue that like, I need to take a little break or I need to take a deep breath or I need to calm down versus kind of, I think that fusing with that thought, a potential outcome of that is that like, I literally say that. to my partner, you know, I just kind of let that fly of like, you're being a shithead. And then there's all the fallout and damage that's going to come from that as well. Yeah. It's something I think we've talked about on the show before is this idea of gaining the ability to kind of have a a circuit breaker. It's when you're getting so worked up and caught up in these things. I think that you'll sometimes have these little glimpses of clarity of, Oh, Mm. I, I can see myself getting spun up or I can see myself kind of losing control here or being really reactive or, or just really digging into these negative feelings. And it's like, you'll catch this glimpse and that circuit breaker thing. I think we've talked about before is that idea of getting better at noticing those little glimpses when they happen and, and grabbing onto it and like pulling the plug and saying, okay, actually I need a halt for a second I'm sorry, uh, you know, that, that was wrong. Can it, you know, give me a moment, whatever it is, like catching those instead of ignoring those and just being like, no, I got to keep doubling down because that's the only way to victory. Yeah. I'm putting together that this seems like another arena where having a strong sense of your values and being able to do that Mm. committed action is also really important because, you know, if you have a strong sense of like, I value gentle conflict resolution or Mm. I value not hurting my partner, even when we disagree, that even in the moment when you're like, oh, I'm so pissed off and they have all the facts wrong and they're being a jerk, that I can still commit to the action of like, okay, I'm going to take a break or I'm going to choose to kind of lower, like pump the brakes, like lower my speed, or I'm going to choose different words that are more gentle, more compassionate, or I'm going to ask them questions, you know, even though it feels hard. That this seems like another arena where where kind of that area of the triangle is also really important as well. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you too, but like we say all this stuff, but like I definitely still have moments where I'm an asshole in a conversation. Oh, oh all the time. Sure. Yeah. I mean, me, I'm yeah. talking about myself, not like, oh yeah, I'm an asshole all the time. No, 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 <laughs> no. no. And no, I, I'm just saying, yeah, like we're, it, it is all well and good to like have these ideas in our head, but we're still clearly like a work in progress as well. And I'm, uh, I'm sure it is sometimes easier said than done, but it's a great thing to be thinking about at all times. I love that. Like, how can you gently choose to like do gentle actions as opposed to, angry and reactive ones but it helps having a podcast for seven years or however many Mm, years i forget not important where you are talking about these things and really having a chance to clarify your values around communication and relationships all the time it does help in those moments where one is wanting to be an asshole to begrudgingly like, be i talk about this though exactly. and I shouldn't be doing no, all the time yeah. begrudgingly like oh my god i just talked about this on a podcast seriously Fuck. <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> very true so the last interesting bit that i want to drop in here is a related to attachment anxiety and avoidance that in this study they found that lack of present moment awareness self as content and global inflexibility were all moderately linked to higher levels of attachment anxiety as well yeah Love it. It's just good all around, it seems. That having that psychological flexibility will also, or, or at least is related to having lower anxiety and less avoidant tendencies, which is a good segue into one caveat that we did want to talk about with this study. And that is that the University of Rochester researchers who put this together are very upfront about the fact that their study found correlative links rather than causative links. So quick, quick crash course on that for anyone who doesn't know, (laughs) basically a correlation means that, you know, when one thing goes up, this other thing goes up, but they're not necessarily related to each other, or maybe they're both caused by something else. All we know is that when one thing's higher, the other tends to be higher. And when one thing's lower, the other tends to be lower. Or, or they could be opposite of each other. Like when this one's higher, this other one's lower. Yeah, I think the classic example that people give is that you can look at, oh, ice cream sales peak in the summertime and also 
burglaries peak in the summertime. And it's a causative, because of the ice cream. Right. A causative link would be to say like, oh, that means that <laughs> ice cream sales are causing burglaries mm-hmm. when it's just like, no, there's a correlation that they're both going up at the same time, but we don't because know if one's causing else. the other yeah. or if there's some other outside cause. Right. Right. Exactly. Versus something, a, a study that does find a causative link means there is more clear evidence that one thing is causing the other. So basically a correlation means they're not necessarily causing each other, but they might be, but we don't even know what direction the causation goes. So in this case, in other words, it's not entirely clear until more longitudinal studies can be done about whether psychological flexibility causes higher relationship satisfaction or if higher relationship satisfaction might help cause psychological flexibility or if they both might be correlated or caused by some other property. But it is still worthwhile to see that there's this correlation and trying to have more psychological flexibility or trying to have more relationship satisfaction will likely have some cross effect on each other, if not a perfectly causative one. We just don't know yet. And another important thing to point out is, you know, Kajdan and Roderberg, who were the researchers who initially coined the term, you know, they point out the fact that it's not like all our brains start out in this same state and with the same ability to be flexible or inflexible in certain areas, that an individual's executive functioning, for instance, or a person's existing default mindsets or cognitive biases, or even just the way their personality is configured, those all have an effect on how easy or difficult that it may be to be psychologically flexible in certain areas. So I just wanted to drop that in just to essentially support another one of our favorite mottos, like, don't weaponize this shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because I mean, for instance, you know, executive functioning is a huge thing that like all of our brains are different in that regard, or different people, you know, especially people who are on the autism spectrum, or certain people with like, executive functioning disorders, or just differences or tweaks. It's like that really heavily influences psychological flexibility in certain arenas. And so just to have like some compassionate understanding for that, that not all our brains work the same way. If I could give uh, an analogy, Dedeker and I for the past few weeks have been doing a physical flexibility course, like a stretching (laughs) course together. So we are going to talk about We are going to talk about the stretching course. Okay, good. So we've been doing this, you know, online. Trying to do some real splits, not just some brain splits. Right. So this online (laughs) stretching course and... I think it's actually a pretty good parallel to this where it says these differences might make it more difficult to be psychologically flexible in certain areas. And absolutely, when we're doing this stretching course, there are certain stretches or strength things where, you know, I'm able to do it and Dedeker is really struggling with it. And if you only looked at that moment, it's like, well, I guess Dedeker is just not as flexible as me. But then if you were to wait, you know, five minutes till the next exercise in the class, when I'm like crying, trying to like lift my leg off the ground and Dedeker's just like, whoop, 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 whatever, <laughs> that you go, wow, gosh, you Jace isn't flexible at all. And Dedeker is so that it's, it, it also really depends on the areas and the specifics too. It's not just this kind of, you are across the board or not. Mm. And whoop, whoop, whoop is the sound of my leg lifting in the air, <laughs> yeah. by the way. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, I, oh, I could see it perfectly in my mind's eye. It was lovely. All right. So how do we apply all of this to non-monogamy? And I would argue to any relationship. Some of these are kind of non-monogamy centric, but really you can you can apply it to whatever relationship configuration you're a part of. So we talked a lot about rules in this, and we have a whole episode on rules versus agreements featuring boundaries. (laughs) And so go back to that episode for sure if you want to get more into that. But Things like rules and agreements, uh, actions, compromises, all of those support are shared in individual values. So I, I am really interested. You talked about this, Dedeker, about having a, an episode on values, and I think we should talk about that at some point. Yes. For sure. Yeah, that's that's on yeah. the topic list and has been for a while to find some more concrete ways for in exercises for figuring out what it is that you actually value. Exactly. So think about that when you're kind of going through this specific episode that we're talking about. And and I even am like, wow, what are my values? Like, I think I have an idea of them, sort of an abstract understanding, but really like concretely knowing my values and then 
relaying that to my partner, I think, is a very important thing to be able to do. Yeah. And you can do that in whatever relationship you're in. Absolutely. And then, let's see, handling inevitable ups and downs and change. We talked about that right from the very start. Just that flexibility in life, that understanding that life is going to throw you some stuff and it's going to suck and there's not always a contingency plan for them and you sort of just have to go with the flow at times and that's really okay remembering that it is inevitable that someone in your life is going to make a mistake and they're going to piss you off and they're going to let you down and there are ways to weather that and ways to handle that Yeah, I feel like this is something that I'm often having to drop in as a reminder with the clients that I work with who are just opening up their relationship or new to it is that it's so important to create structures and find ways to foster safety and a mindset that understands there's going to be some times where things start to fall apart a little bit or someone steps on somebody's toes or someone miscommunicates you know, or, or there's a misunderstanding or things like that. And we have to be able to essentially set ourselves up so that it's like the first time that happens it doesn't all just fall apart you know the whole house of cars doesn't come tumbling down and i think that that really speaks to this psychological flexibility Uh, other things such as like we said being able to bring ourselves back into the present in order to support a partner who's going through a tough time you know, being able to actually be there for them. And call back to our episode with Jessica Fern about her polysecure book is that that's a basis of attachment security is that are you here? Are you Mm -hmm. here with me? And so being able to be present is a huge part of that. And also dealing with unexpected negative emotions that come up, you know, all the time, I see that things like jealousy or, or relationship insecurity, sometimes catch you totally off guard. I know for myself, like 10 years into non-monogamy, every single time I think that I'm enlightened and I've figured it out and I'm so great. It's like something comes out of left field where I'm like, oh shit, I was not expecting that. And that's really uncomfortable or that's a really uncomfortable piece of personal growth. And so I think, you know, those skills like being able to defuse self as context can really help to, um, I think especially because what I see all the time is people like me who've been doing this for a long time. If suddenly jealousy or envy or something comes up, they're like, oh my God, I thought that I was a quote unquote good poly person who doesn't do this anymore. or doesn't feel this way anymore. And being able to tap into that sense of compassion and stepping outside of your inner experience can also be extremely helpful. Yeah. Well, gang, how flexible do you feel? Can your brains do the splits yet? It's on the way. Yeah. I've got a good half split, definitely a great <laughs> half split going on. And I need to use my blocks, my yoga blocks on mm-hmm. either end of my mm-hmm. body mm-hmm. so that I can keep myself upright and not break. But we're getting yeah. there. My pigeon yeah. is getting a lot better. But I'm, I'm not very quite with that. fully to the splits yet. So. <laughs> Hey, yeah, I don't all, know. Writing we're this all a work in progress. Writing this episode was really interesting because it definitely helped me to to see like, oh, I feel like I actually do this really well in other areas where I'm like, oh, I do that really poorly. <laughs> so I definitely <laughs> what do you got do a, poorly. Oh my god, do you really want me to lay it out right here, right now? I so many I of mean, these things. <laughs> we don't have to. It's fine. But but yeah, just, it, that surprises me. Just trust me. I'm also a work in progress, like everybody is. Mm -hmm. So we are going to talk about uh, more findings from this particular study because they also looked at things like parenting and family ties as well and how psychological flexibility or inflexibility influences that. So if you're interested in that, stick around for our bonus episode. And we want to hear from you. We're going to be posting a question on our Instagram. Uh, We want to hear, do you consider yourself psychologically flexible? Do you feel like there's parts of this that are easier for you or harder for you? We want to hear. Also, the best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on this episode's discussion thread in our private Facebook group or Discord chat. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at info at multiamory.com. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Emily Matlack, and me, Dedeker Winston. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio Balvanera. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. 
Our production assistants are Rachel Schenowark and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.